This is 128 Bits, a podcast about the most influential period of video games, what is known as the sixth generation, also the Dreamcast, PS2, GameCube, and Xbox era. On every episode, we will discuss one standout title from the generation and talk about its greatness, including its critical reception at the time, our favorite and least favorite things, its legacy, and what it would look like today. On today's episode, I'm joined by Joseph, and we're going to talk about the first online console RPG, Fantasy Star Online. So first of all, how are you today, Joseph? I'm doing well. Yeah, did you play uh, PSO at launch or like shortly thereafter? Because I think I got it like later, like near the end of its lifetime. Because episode two was out, but I got episode one recent, like at that time. Uh, no, I didn't play it until the end of its time. I played it um, on GameCube actually. Oh, because okay. I never had a Dreamcast, as we said before. Yeah. No, I had it on Dreamcast, and it was. Yeah, I'm so happy that we're talking about it because it's one of my favorite <laughs> video game experiences of all time. Yeah. So let's go into the background of it. Um, so Fantasy Star Online is the first online RPG for home consoles and was released on the Dreamcast in the United States on January 29th, 2001. It would later go on to be released for the GameCube and the Xbox. But for most of this background, I'm going to talk about it as a Dreamcast game because that's uh, that's how it started its life. Um, so this game came from the very top, and Sega chairman Isao Okawa wanted a flagship online game for the Dreamcast because he clearly believed that online was a path forward. And since the Dreamcast was the only console that came with a modem, the only Japanese console that came included with a modem, he very clearly believed that, right? And he like put all of this money behind it. He assigned a Sonic team led by Yuji Naka to create this online flagship title. Now, the biggest issue at the time was that Japan wasn't exactly big on online gaming like America was. So naturally, the development had a steep learning curve as the team needed to learn what worked and didn't work online and also how to develop and work with an online infrastructure. For this second part, Sonic Team actually developed the game Choo Choo Rocket, which was the first online title for the Dreamcast as a means of learning how to use network functionality correctly. Did you ever play uh, Choo Choo Rocket? No. Yeah, it was like this pretty cool puzzle game um, where it, that was the big selling point for it. It's pretty simple. You like have to move mice in a certain area and it's like a grid thing. It's it, I played it probably just once and I didn't play it online, so I didn't really get the big point of it. But that, <laughs> it was like the first Dreamcast online title. So and it yeah, led to PSO. When we were doing our research, I looked it up and I don't like it didn't even look familiar to me. I saw a couple of screenshots of it, but I was like, I don't even think I've ever seen this game. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't own it and I'd like to now. But I mean, even now we couldn't play it online. Yeah. So Sonic Team looked to American online games as inspiration for what the gameplay could be like. And if they chose to focus on Diablo and EverQuest specifically now. Creating an MMO like EverQuest was seen as way more ambitious on the infrastructure side and would add about two years of development time, so the team settled on a Diablo-style game, with the big difference being that their game would be in 3D. So what resulted was a 3D action RPG featuring three different classes, one of them was melee, one of them ranged, and one magic, where players could team up with three other players and hack and slash their way through four big levels set in a sci-fi universe in which the players have just arrived to a potential new home world as an enormous explosion rocks the planet, losing contact with the thousands of colonists already on the planet. Therefore, the players have no choice but to go down and explore and, of course, commit genocide. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
As an aside, the art and style uh, of the universe of PSO has nothing to do with previous Fantasy Star titles. The levels themselves were gated into a number of segments which enemies couldn't break free. So it was like little areas where a bunch of enemies would spawn, then you would beat them all, and then you would unlock the next area, etc., etc. Just kind of going through like little segments of the level. And each level ended with a huge boss. It sounds simplistic, and it was, but it was very fun, and it was the first time a console game gave you the feeling of there's other people out there. And uh, for me personally, it was very, very cool. Um, from the beginning, the game was meant to be region-free, with Japanese and American and European players being able to co-mingle on the same servers if they wanted to. And one of the big things that helped with this is that the communication in the game was all text-based, so there was no support for voice. And while you could use an official Dreamcast keyboard to type out messages, the majority of players used the in-game chat system, which had pre-populated phrases which would auto-translate from one language to the other. So communicating with a Japanese player, for example, would show the phrases I send in English to them in Japanese. In addition to this, the game had its own universal clock that could be used by players to coordinate when to meet up in the game, and the game servers maintained this time independent of the clock on the user's Dreamcast, which is notorious for running out of battery, especially nowadays. Um, <laughs> the game was first shown to the public in the 1999 Tokyo Game Show and immediately received a ton of hype, being called things like the most revolutionary and ambitious console game ever, and people thinking this would lay out the foundations for a new era of console gaming. Uh, Yuji Naka, the head of Sonic Team himself, said that he thought the online part of the title would be seen as quaint, since most games would be online after uh, Fantasy Star Online. So, overall, Fantasy Star Online was a simple game with huge implications. It was indeed revolutionary and way ahead of its time, considering the only other game on this era that I played online normally was Halo 2, which came out four years later. <sighs> and I didn't play a single PS2 or GameCube game online. Um, so you play this on GameCube, right? Did you do you think you played any other GameCube game online? I don't remember playing any other GameCube game online. I did I do know that I played other stuff online. Like PS2, I remember playing Tony Hawk online. Mm. Um that was when I first started learning about like cheats and like uh exploits in games where you could do like <laughs> never ending grinds and shit like that. Yeah. And then um I know I played I think Killzone online. Hmm. I don't know if that I, I didn't I definitely didn't play it online. You know, I played I played Fantasy Star Online like the most, and I just remembered I logged into Unreal Tournament also on the Dreamcast online <laughs> once, but I did really, really bad. But yeah, this was the <laughs> this was the only console game of that era that I can say that I regularly played online. Um like everything else regularly. was on PC. Yeah, regularly for sure. I know that those other ones I only played a few other times because the online experiences were just not there. Yeah. And like there wasn't an experience at all at the time because it was just <laughs> online, like getting its its legs underneath it. Yeah, and I think that's something that the Dreamcast um, is kind of, um, I don't know, underrated about. It's just that inception of online gaming from the get-go, right? Because the PS2 needed a network adapter, the GameCube yeah. needed a network adapter, the Xbox didn't, and that's that was one of its leading edges, but the Dreamcast had a, a, a network adapter f like at launch, and it was dial-up, and despite it being on dial-up, it worked pretty well. 
Did it have the port in the console or did you, did it have to have another attachment? No, it came with it. It was in the console. I thought so. Okay. Yeah. You could remove it and put like a broadband adapter. That's why it was removable. Uh -huh. But all of them came with the dial-up. Um, and in the United States, it was free to go online with it. So as I mean, as long as you had an ISP. So yeah. yeah. So in terms of critical reception, despite all the hype for the game, the reviews weren't exactly fantastic. Um, it has an 89 Metascore out of 21 critics, which I mean, that's really good. But uh -huh. when people are talking about, oh, this is going to be the most revolutionary console game of all time, and then it doesn't it gets an 89, it's kind of like didn't exactly live up to the hype. The only uh, place that I could find um, with a perfect score out of 21 critics on Metacritic was a game, uh, a game website called Games Radar. They called it the best console RPG since Squaresoft's Final Fantasy VIII on PlayStation which is crazy because they're very, very different games. Um, yeah. IGN gave it a 93, highlighting the graphics and even saying there's really nothing that compares to the visual quality of Fantasy Star Online. And uh, yeah, the graphics are really, really cool. Remember um, earlier I talked about me wanting to smell a game? Yeah. Fantasy Star Online's level, I think it's a third world where there's like, it's, it's like waterfalls in this cave that's all green and lush. That's the first time that I was like, oh, I wish I could smell this place. I bet you it smells so good. <laughs> um, our friends you smell at, a cave? I, it, it, it looked like a really lush green cave. Like I could feel that the air was misty. You get what I mean? Like it, it would have yeah. smelled really good. I don't know uh, that I remember that one. I'm pretty sure it was the third one, the third level. Um our friends at Maxim Online were one of the harshest, giving it an 80. Uh, they weren't as harsh as Playboy Online, though, which also highlights the graphics, saying, quote, not only is the lighting superb, but the general design of the environments is also both visually appealing and extremely efficient, end quote. Not exactly sure what that means, but they really liked the graphics. <laughs> they thought they were efficient. Um, believe it or not, the harshest critics were GamePro who gave it a 70. And in his 3.5 Fun Factor score review, GamePro editor 4 Eyed Dragon said the following, quote, While its unique multiplayer raises the bar for the Dreamcast online capabilities, Fantasy Star Online is nothing more than a watered-down role-playing game that will disappoint both RPG enthusiasts and fans of the Fantasy Star series. While PSO may triumph in originality, it lacks depth, especially as an RPG. The story is extremely basic without any character development, and if it wasn't for the ability to level up, the game would be in the hack and slash beat 'em up genre. End quote. Now, I mean, that's a totally fair review. <laughs> yeah, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's not at all. And it's kind of like it's that's why the comparison to Final Fantasy VIII earlier seemed kind of like weird. Because it doesn't have a story, it doesn't have like a a a protagonist that's memorable there's no love interest i don't even remember the story like i, I had to google the name of the final boss because <laughs> so yeah i think game pro overall was fair in their review even though it was the lowest yeah uh, the game didn't get any game of the year awards in the usa which i mean it was 2001 which is a very good year for video games it did however win the japan game award game of the year um, which is a pretty prestigious award, and uh, again, also in 2001, which is pretty special. Um, sales. What else was that year? Uh, Grand Theft Auto 3, Metal Gear Solid 2, Halo. 
Um, I think Super Smash Brothers came out this year also. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, it was a really, really good year. 2001 is maybe the greatest year in video game history. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. also, like, the N64 had, like, um, Paper Mario came out this year. Um, Conker's Bad Fur Day came out this year. It's just like, <laughs> there was still really good games on the N64 coming out in 2001 and the GameCube and the Dreamcast ps2 that's crazy yeah so i mean i'm not surprised that it didn't get any game of the year on this side um but i mean it, it was clearly well liked in japan because it got that japan game award game of the year yeah the games uh in sales the game sold very well on the first day of its american release it sold seventy-five thousand copies and globally the game sold 1 million copies with half of them being sold in japan on april 2001 the game had 235,000 active registered players worldwide, which is significant because in, ja in Japan and Europe, going online wasn't free like it was in the United States. So it cost extra to go online. So the fact that there was 235,000 people willing to pay extra to go and play this game online is pretty significant for uh, Sega. It didn't make the Sega Greatest Hits or the Sega All-Stars, but I think that's mostly because it made too much money otherwise. Um, because everyone that I knew with a Dreamcast had Fantasy Star Online too. And in terms of GameCube and Xbox, I don't know how well that sold, but I know for the Xbox, it was maintained for a long time. So it had to have sold well enough to maintain a user base that long. Some behind the scenes info. So at the time of release, Japan's internet infrastructure was not so great. Just put it mildly. And the internet was very expensive and actually billed by the minute. So to combat this, Sega's chairman, the guy that wanted a flagship online title, Isao Okawa, personally paid for one year of internet access for all Dreamcasts that were sold in Japan, which is pretty awesome. Just imagine um, you buy a Dreamcast and you have a year of internet for free. That is really cool. And I don't see a company doing that now. No. Um, Development was split into three parts. Um, well, you have stuff like like Apple giving away their subscription for free if you buy a device. Yeah, but I don't know if. Yeah, yeah. Well, you I mean like if Apple that's TV like the equivalent? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so because that can only be used there. It's not like. But I guess they're not really like paying anybody for it. They're just giving you access to yeah. it. Yeah, so, it's like they're yeah. just not taking you money. They're not taking they're your money for it. Taking your money for it. Because <laughs> over here, they it's not like Sega was an ISP. They had to pay an ISP. Person, yeah, yeah. Like prepay the average one year amount, which is which is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. So the development was split into three parts. Like that's this is how Sonic Team organized their work. It's kind of weird because one team was focused purely on graphics just pushing the Dreamcast and making it look really good. Another team focused purely on the network um, aspect of it, like sending packets and data over it or making sure that it works over a dial-up and all that stuff. And then the third team came in later because they were too busy finishing up <laughs> Sonic. <laughs> so it's just like, it was like these three teams that were working on separate things and then came together at the very end to give us PSO. And um, yeah, one of the things that I'm learning a lot as we research these titles is that each of them is built so differently. Um, like Halo had a super dedicated teamwork all the time and Rez had like a super creative guy changing offices and bringing in all these artists and musicians. And then Sonic Team had three teams in one, one just on graphics. So I can't imagine that like they even had a concern of like, how would these graphics look over the network, right? Or anything like that. It's, it just seems weird to not have a big picture as you're developing, but hey, it worked for them. Yeah. 
Third thing, Chairman Isao Okawa unfortunately died shortly after the game was launched on March 16, 2001. So he didn't get to see the success of the game, which he was so heavily invested in. And that, that's kind of like a sad note on him because he cared so much about it. He like put his personal money behind it and he didn't really get to see it become this global phenomenon that, that he expected. Um, the Another thing is that this game was surprisingly like, it lived for a long time. The Dreamcast and GameCube servers were officially killed in 2007, but official servers uh, for the PC and Xbox versions of this game were kept alive until 2010 when Sega pulled the plug. However, unofficial servers are still alive today, and you can find them on the following website, Ephinia, like E-P-H-I-N-E-A dot Pioneer2.net. And I went online as we were writing this and I checked and there were 82 people playing online, playing Fantasy Star Online on Affinia Pioneer 2, uh, which is really cool. I was almost tempted to download it, but I don't want to get addicted to it again. <laughs> they must all know each other. Like, that's not a lot of people playing that game at all. No, and actually a lot of them do. Like, the the there's two main developer guys. There's like a great profile on them who were like, one of them started working on it way back in 2008 and then he left and the other guy convinced him to come back. And it's like super drama because they know each other. They love the game and they're maintaining <laughs> it. Like they're releasing new scenarios, new patches for it. It's pretty really? cool, but it's crazy. Like uh, it's an insane amount of dedication, which I respect. <laughs> uh, the game, here's another one. The game not only utilized the keyboard on the Dreamcast, but it also did so on the GameCube which had a special GameCube keyboard controller, which is one of the weirdest peripherals of the era. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's like, it's pretty much a normal GameCube controller on each end, except the part in the middle is elongated to fit a full-sized keyboard with F rows and everything. It's just like, yeah. it's like, take a full-sized keyboard and put the right and left-hand side of the GameCube on either side and squish it, and that is the GameCube PSO online. Yeah. Uh, like, if you're in front of a keyboard, grab it from either end and then just <laughs> add another couple inches because it's like if you're grabbing it from a controller. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Yeah, it's super strange. I really want it, but I can't find it online for cheaper. <laughs> Such a strange thing. Uh, did you come across any weird uh, trivia or any weird info while doing your research, Joe? Uh, no, I just want to say the what's that guy's name? Yuji Naka, the yeah. Sonic Team lead. Uh, he's an extremely, extremely youthful looking man. <laughs> there was the picture of him in the in the wiki in there, and he's like 50 years old. He looks like he's like 30. Yeah, he's aged very gracefully. I bet you he has a skincare <laughs> routine. <laughs> um, yeah, I just saw there was one note about him is that he didn't really want to evoke any competitive behavior. Mm. So that's why it's not like there's not like any like verses in that game. Mm. It's all co-op. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's really interesting because there is I remember one of the big things about it was remember the Game Shark. So there was a Game Shark uh, cheat or exploit or whatever that allowed for players to kill other players in the lobby. <laughs> um, and that was a big deal because in, in Fantasy Star Online, whenever you got killed, you dropped all your items yeah. and all your money. And so people were doing that in lobbies. And I think that would get you banned. But yeah, I can see why um, he was all about co-op because this game was heavy, super heavy into co-op. There was no PV, uh, PVP. It was all PVE. 
or player yeah. versus enemy. All right. That's funny. That's like the original uh, South Park World of Warcraft thing. <laughs> All right. So let's get into our questions. So the first question, Joe, is what is your favorite thing about this game? Um, I really like the sound, actually. I didn't mm. remember it until I went back and was um, watching some like playthroughs and stuff like that. But like you spend a lot of time in the menus and you spend a mm-hmm. lot of time grinding. Um, and I like in retrospect, a lot of the creatures sound kind of corny now, <laughs> but they're st- like they still sound really great. I think um, the mix of everything in it, like the when you uh, time your attacks right and it does like the little charge up like sounds yeah. as you're doing it. Like it's just quintessential sci-fi. Um, and I love it. Like it's. It's something that I didn't even realize was kind of ingrained in me until I went back and started watching those playthroughs. And like, I, I started hearing these sounds come back. I was like, Oh yeah. Like <laughs> this just sounds so cool. Like the, it's just such an influence on like my expectations for sci-fi, I guess. Yeah. Um, Cause you spend a lot of time in like the space, like the lobbies, the spaceship and all that kind of stuff. And it mm. just like, yeah, it just stuck with me. That's the, that's what stuck with me the most from this game. I think that I didn't even realize it until I went back and played it. <laughs> Yeah, I was looking at some videos too, and I had, like, when I heard the sound of of entering stuff into the menu, like when you choose a lobby, it's like, oh wow, I forgot that I love that sound. It's like wow, wow, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just yeah. like I heard that thing so many times that it's in there, and it like triggered some synapses in my mind to feel good all of a sudden. It's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, a good time is happening. Um, and another thing that I always remember is um the loading graphics or whatever, where you're like traveling at light speed mm-hmm. and you could move the the little you could move the cursor. little thing yeah, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> the, yeah sounds the playthrough that i was watching I, he wasn't moving the little thing i was like oh what are you doing, <laughs> <laughs> You're doing <it> wrong. <laughs> for sure uh for me i i think my favorite thing is the art style i i genuinely loved the way the characters look like if you just look at the at the cover art those are all like the potential base classes that you could have and they're just so cool. They're so varied. There's like the robot class, the the range class, and they just look really, really cool. And I really liked Mags as a concept, yeah. um, which is like your little sidekick partner thing that floats over your shoulder and you feed it and it grows and it helps you and it like adapts, like it can heal you or it can buff your your abilities to handle damage or things like that. Like everything about that was really cool. Um, I've always liked Mags as a concept. I think mm-hmm. the only game that does it is Destiny now, and that's one of the big reasons why I like Destiny. Like the Guardian is pretty much um, a Mag, right? It just doesn't grow <laughs> yeah. or anything like that. The enemies, the style of the enemies were really cool, um, even though their sounds were weird. <laughs> the environments, I just loved. I like. I can tell. That that graphics team really worked hard in not only pushing the Dreamcast, but also having like a design language that mm-hmm. looked good on the Dreamcast because the game just the art style was just so good. It's it's my favorite. Like I've never been good at drawing, but I remember trying to draw the PSO characters all the time <laughs> and failing miserably. Um, but yeah, and then like the environments were so good. Like I said, that watery cave to this day, I want to smell it. Um, it just, it just looks great. And then there's different weapons and animations for each one. Like you could have like a lightsaber type thing 
and the attacks would be different than if you had like a big scythe thing, right? Or like there was like double dagger blades that you could wield and stuff like that. So the art style for this game was really, really very cool. And I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it just, it just set the tone. Like you said, it's like that brand of Japanese sci-fi, right? Like the Gundam wing type sci-fi that's, yeah. that's cooler than the Western uh, sci-fi, like the Star Treks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was your favorite class when you played? Do you remember? Yeah, I was always a hunter, which is the, the melee kind, because ranged I was actually kind of boring because you could just sit, and a lot of people would do this, they could just sit like on the edge of the level and like shoot them from really far away be, be, without even coming close. Mm -hmm. And then the magic one, I actually played the magic, or they, it wasn't called magic, they were called like techniques, or yeah. I forgot what they were. Um, I only played them probably a handful of times because it was just not fun. I really just liked hacking stuff up. <laughs> so I was like a robot um, hunter. And yeah, I used I had, to prefer the double dagger things. I had a robot hunter and I had a um, a robot ranged. I think yeah. I started with the ranged one because they're like bulky and look like yeah. Gundams. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw somebody, I saw one, somebody walking around as a robot with a scythe. Yeah. And it reminded me of Death Scythe, and this was just around <laughs> the time of Gundam Wing, and I was like, hey, wait a minute, like, I want that. It was like the meme of the dude looking at the girl the other way, so I ended up like switching over to that class and playing with that for a long time. Yeah, and then my mags ended up becoming like the double ones that look like boosters, uh -huh. and they would float like behind me, so it looked more like a Gundam. And then whenever they would activate with some booster or anything, they would like go a parallel to the ground. So it looked like I was flying. Oh, it was so cool. Like the, the mags are such a cool concept. Yeah, I wish I more games them. had something like that. For sure. If Destiny made the Guardians act more like mags and like change like that, yeah. I would definitely start playing it a lot more. I would have hoped they did that, but they just kind of show up every now and then and you can just change their color. But you can't change like their shape or anything, which would be so cool. Yeah, Bungie, listen to this podcast. I, I know you guys all listen to it in your meetings. <laughs> uh, maybe next gen. Um, all right. So the second question is, what is the standout moment? And I'm going to take this one first, because for me, the standout moment was meeting people from the Internet in and like in a, in the real world, so to speak. <laughs> I know it was online, <laughs> but it was different because there was like a character manifestation that I could see and not just a wall of text, right? Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but at this time, uh, around this time, and you definitely remember, but I'm just going to tell the listeners, uh, we used to go <laughs> to this forum called All RPG. And this is one of the nerdiest things that I've ever done in my life. But all RPG, <laughs> all RPG wasn't just like a, a gameplay discussion, a like forum where you talk about games. It actually also included a role-playing forum in which nerds like Joseph and I would write essays back and forth to each other, <laughs> <laughs> describing characters and moving. And there was fights and there was clans and there was castles and, and, and uh, raids. raids and uh, inns and bars and all of these types of things. And wars. <laughs> yeah. It was very involved role-playing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I made, I made a lot of online friends on all RPG and there was this one girl, her name was, Val or her character's name was Valkyrie and she used to go by Val and she's one of the first people that I met from online in a game world and I just remember like 
because the online chatting thing was weird, right? So we would message on on all RPG and then go to the Dreamcast and all these other things. And I just remember like, wow, it's a real person. And that mm. feeling of just, just, I don't know, just interacting with someone that you had only met online in a more concrete way. And like, it's not physical, but it's like a, a manifestation of that person. It just felt so cool. It blew my mind. And it, that to me is, I'm sure I'm not the only one that had this experience because it was the first online console RPG. So many people that didn't play PC online games experienced that for the first time. So yeah, that moment was just so, so cool. Yeah, I actually agree with you. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're not the only one that that actually stands for. The the thing with mine though, it's actually different because I didn't meet up with anybody. Like mm. I didn't... Any of the all RPG people, I definitely didn't meet up with on here because I didn't have a Dreamcast. Um, I was playing with it way later, so it wasn't even when like any of our friends were really playing it. And I, I could have sworn this must have been another Shazam memory because I could have sworn that we played together on here. But now I'm starting to think that I either just played at your house and had a character on your console, mm. or vice versa. Because um, I remember playing in the same room, but I guess we just never like played online together yeah but anyway with my experience of playing with online play it's more playing with random people mm. like this was my journey before journey um because <laughs> i must have missed the typing tutorial or just didn't give a shit about it like skipped <laughs> all the way through it yeah. and i wasn't going to get the gamecube controller so there was for a while that i just either didn't want to or didn't know how to really talk to anybody so yeah. i would just end up playing with people and then like just see i mean there it was way less artistic than journey and probably way more slurs than journey <laughs> But like, yeah, like playing with people all over and it's just like people that I don't know. And it would just be a bunch of randos because I would never meet up with anybody. So yeah. it was just like these experiences we'd come to and just like play in the moment there. And then it was just over whenever we'd leave. Yeah. You know, I actually, so I actually would play with randoms also too. And one, this is one of the, my most memorable gaming experiences ever because this game is the first time that I rage quit a console game <laughs> and I threw a controller across the room type uh, rage quit. And it happened because I met a random, he was like a level one or two, like very entry level. And um, I was already like pretty advanced. I had, you know, my big mags and whatever. And I just took him under my wing and it was just like the two of us, I was like, eh, come play with me. I'll, I'll guide you through the game. And through the whole game, I was reviving him. I was dropping weapons and armor for him and stuff like that. Or her, whoever it was. <laughs> um, but anyway, we probably played for like four hours. And we got sure. to the end of the game. Like he started off level one. He ended the game like level 15 or 18, something like that. <sighs> and at the very end, um, it's the last boss... And I get killed and he does not revive me and he beats the game and he takes my stuff. And I just remember like yelling and throwing the, the controller across the room and like it hit the wall. And I just like buried my face into my bed and screamed so loud like it hurt my throat. What a betrayal. Yeah, it was just like, this is the worst. So it not only showed me the best of the online world, it also showed me the worst um in a way that no other game ever has like after that it's just like any betrayal online will never compare to this that's funny um because yeah i broke a controller like this is the game that i that i 
the the only game that I've uh, broken a controller in anger with because it was just yeah, I definitely malicious because so he went and took your shit. Yeah, 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 he did, and he didn't revive me. I've had that happen with me and a buddy of mine. We were playing Left 4 Dead. It was either one or two, and we played through all the missions, and then on the last one, um, we're, like you were running to get on a plane or some shit like that. And then we're all we're both running. I go back and revive him. I get on the plane. He, I realize he's dead, so I run back and revive him. We're both running back. I die like maybe two feet from the plane. He <laughs> runs on, not realizing that I died because we're like about to get on at the same time, and the game ends. And I never got that achievement to get the... <laughs> I was like, wait, did you get it? He was like, yeah, I got the achievement. Like the, I'm in the end sequence. I was like, what the fuck? I got my like, game over screen right now. <laughs> but like, so his wasn't any malicious, but this guy went and took your shit. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know who it was. I never played with them again because, I mean, you, you couldn't really. You just had to like plan offline to meet with people online, right? And uh, yeah, he took my stuff. I was a lot of good stuff, and I hate <laughs> him sucks. or her, or whoever it is. <laughs> that person. Um, yeah, but I don't know what they were going through. But it was so messed up because I, I held their hand, revived them countless times when they would die. I remember the the first boss was like a dragon, and I remember the dragon killed him probably like five times. I was like, "Really? You can't just avoid the dragon? Um, <laughs> you can't just avoid it?" Yeah, but it was just it was it, this game made me so angry. That moment made me so angry. But it showed me the highs and lows of online, and <laughs> it's a beautiful moment. <laughs> uh, third question: What is the worst part of this game for you? Um, I'd say the camera because there was so mm. many times in like play in these battles that I would just lose enemies completely. Mm. And um, since you're grinding so much and like going on and like there's so much gameplay and hours that you put into it, I would just play with headphones on all the time or like mm. other music and the and the volume down. So you, you know how you have those music cues telling like it kicks on whenever there's enemies around. Yeah, I would just never hear those, and then <laughs> like I would get lost in the camera, and then I would just get smacked from an enemy like from out of nowhere. I'm like what the hell oh okay i didn't like turn the camera all the way around i forgot <laughs> to do that this this one time like uh, it was so annoying <laughs> yeah the the whole combat system to me is i think the worst part of the game especially because it required a lock-on um and then you couldn't move while you were swinging so it was really weird because you would kind of like run stop press and then you had to time the combo right time, yeah. and then like run again and then stop press and it was just it was it, it, it was weird it definitely um like was way too simple i think or way too cumbersome than other games um i can understand why the lock-on would work like from a i don't know like a development aspect it's just like oh then you only have to worry about damage on the things that are locked on and not on everything at once right but yeah. it, it it actually was to me kind of weird and that paired with the grind made it so that near the end at times I was just like, eh, I'd rather not play uh, because <laughs> it was just like the combat system was not at all natural or once you get the timing down of the combos, it's like, that's it. That's as deep as the combat system goes. Yeah. doesn't matter what you do. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe the techniques would have been better. I never played the techniques. I was just a hack and slash guy. <laughs> um, so maybe the magic system worked better or something like that, but... Yeah, I never played the magic. I always played the ranged or the the warriors. And the ranged, looking back, uh, kind of looked like uh, Soldier uh, Soldier seventy six, no, from uh, Overwatch. 
Yeah. The human ranged character. Yeah, the human one. I I was the robot one, but yeah, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, he yeah. Does. it's like he's blue, he's got this visor, just hair coming out. <laughs> it, it was probably Soldier 76. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, all right. The fourth question: how did the game age? And what parts of it age the best and the worst? What do you think, Joe? Um, I mean, as far as like the experience and stuff like that, we talked about like that's the stuff that's going to age the best. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few things out of here that I like. I like the timing aspect of it. I don't know why that was just like a gameplay mechanic that I did like about it. Cause I didn't know that one at first. And I think either we talked, I think I like remember a conversation where either we talked about it or I read about it somewhere mm-hmm. and I was just like, Oh shit. Like I've never tried that. And so I went back home and then like tried it and, I was like, and like started work on working on getting the time into each tour. Like it was just muscle memory <laughs> and I was just trying to like associate it with the sound and went to hit it. Yeah. Um, so I really liked that. And um, I really like the art, like you were saying, mm. I just think that it, it has such a feel to itself and it just sticks to it really well. Mm. Um, yeah. Those are the two things that I think age the well, the best out of it. Yeah, I I think what aged the best is actually the the grind the grinding aspect of it. <laughs> Even though it's not exactly pleasurable, I think most Japanese online games feel the same way. Like I like Monster Hunter is pretty much the same thing, right? I I don't know what it is about grinding and just being harsh combat over and over and getting the timing down which resonates so well with Japanese games um <laughs> because I mean they still do that. They still do that to this day, right? And uh maybe even non-online like Diablo still online and you still just got to grind. It's it's just a grind fest. And um, PSO did that. Well, it's the, like, like the game pro people said, it's the kind of the only thing that made progression seem like a thing, right? It's just like, Oh, well, yeah. how many bars do you fill up? But that is <laughs> what a lot of video game consoles do to this day. So I think that's the one part of it that would, that looks like a modern game um, at, at least for me. And what age the worst is only four players at one time. It's so weird looking back that you would go into these lobbies and see like dozens of people there at once, right? But then when it comes to gameplay, it's just four of you and it's only four of you and you can't see anyone else. It's just like, where did those hundreds of people go? It's just four of us down here all this time. It kind of... um, got rid of some of that immersion for a little bit, right? Because you're in the lobby and you feel like, oh, wow, I really am exploring another world. And then you go down to the world itself and there's only four of you. I think um, the best way to do this is like kind of like how Destiny handles fire teams, which is like, yeah, you only interact with these four, but when you're out in the world, you see other characters there. You see other people playing and they can kind of vaguely interact with you. They don't affect your game directly, but they're there, right? And... um, I think that aged really bad. It's a limitation of the era, of course, but it just, it it really knocks you out of it, especially when compared to like modern experiences online. Yeah. Like only retrospectively, not, not Mm -hmm. the experience at the time though. Yeah. No, at the time it was like, Oh, awesome. I'm online. But like looking back, it's just like, okay, yeah, this is definitely the year 2001 (laughs) because you go (laughs) from like in the lobby where all you have to do is display. Yeah. Yeah. I will put them all in there. But when it comes to actually, setting up combat and having to process environments and having to process enemies spawning. And oh no, we can only handle four players over <laughs> dial up, right? Because that's it, yeah, that yeah. we have to send this over 28.8 kilobits per second. 
Um, is there anything else that you think aged bad? Um, nah, not that I like. Not that I remember distinctly enough to to mention. All right, cool. The fifth question: What do you think is the legacy of this game? Uh, it was online gaming. I think is the legacy of this one. Um, mm. it's pretty obvious. Like, that's the only really obvious answer. I think that. <laughs> I could come to, um, yeah. or the only ones that I could, the only really, really conclusion that I could draw. Um, we don't get stuff like Destiny where it's like co-op, sci-fi, mm. stuff like that without this. And like those games are huge now, so it's kind of the foundation for all those games. Yeah, for sure. It's it's the it's it's online works on consoles, right? It doesn't just work on PCs. I think that's what mm. this game showed us, especially for Japanese video games. Um, and I I think the fact that that they had that whole it makes sense now why it would be such a fond memory in people's mind if yuji naka from the beginning was like i want people to cooperate i don't want there to be like tension and battles between them because that's what pso was right it was like friendly yeah. it was co-op it was like oh i'm coming together with real people Except let's for that go slaughter all these, all these <laughs> animals <together. laughs> yeah let's go slaughter this bear uh with giant claws that walks up right <laughs> but it makes like it was the first online experience for so many people it was such a pleasant experience um clearly there's at least 82 people still obsessed with it that go on and play every day and are keeping it alive but yeah it shows that online works on consoles and um like after this right the ps3 came with dedicated network support the yeah. Wii, I don't know if the, the, the Wii have an on, like a network adapter already. No, I think you had to buy another adapter for it. I'm not sure. I thought it did. But I mean, the point is after this, yeah. after this, all of them had like a means to go online. It wasn't like an extra add-on thing or anything like that, which, which showed that like PSO was the first one, right? It, maybe it wasn't as far as... Um, Yuji Naka thinking that from not, like this is the last game that's going to have online as its title uh, because but maybe not because almost every game nowadays has an online element to it right it's kind of rare that it doesn't yeah. um, even something like uh, Ghost of Tsushima is going to have an online thing I mean Grand Theft Auto 5 hasn't been like there hasn't been a Grand Theft Auto 6 because Grand Theft Auto 5 online is alive and well and thriving and so many different <laughs> aspects to it right yeah, most games go out of their way to like specifically mention now like this is what we're doing as far as online goes yeah it's like a given now um and that's all goes back to pso and from a more um i guess direct descendant type of type of way to answer this question i think the legacy of pso is monster hunter um, which has sold more than 63 million units worldwide and is the <laughs> second highest selling series in Capcom's history after Resident Evil. Monster Hunter is more popular than Street Fighter. And Monster <laughs> Hunter is pretty much PSO with dinosaurs instead of aliens. <laughs> so yeah, Sega never did a sequel. Um, they should that's have. As close as we get. Yeah, that's as close as we get. And they should have because I'd much rather go in the sci-fi universe than in a giant sword dinosaur universe. <laughs> if you could only get Echo... Or a PSO sequel from Sega, which one would you take? Oh, man. Hmm. That's a tough one. <laughs> that is a tough one because 
remember my uh, my scenario for how like an echo game would look in 2020 where it's open world and you are yeah. fighting against deep sea trawling and surfing and stuff like that. I uh, think that would be beautiful. But <laughs> I think like a destiny with PSO in that universe with those caves that I want to smell so bad and those swords and a better combat system. Like if they had the combat system of Ghost of Tsushima in Fantasy Star Online 2020, that would be so awesome. <laughs> oh man, I can't pick one. I would, I'd, I'd pay 70 bucks for either of those <laughs> gladly on whatever console. <laughs> um, sixth question. Is this the peak for any of the studios or generations? What do you think, Joe? Yeah. I mean, I guess if not the peak, definitely the, like the plateau for Every for both, I'd want to say for Sega, like if it, if this didn't eclipse everything that they did, then it was definitely like up there with all the mm -hmm. best stuff that they did in this generation. Yeah. Um, and same thing for like for the generation. I can't think of many more games that were like much better because there wasn't much more games that I spent more time in. So there weren't any games that were like that much better made. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't think of it as like better than any of those games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, this represents the peak of the Dreamcast as the console pushing technology forward, meaning that like this was from after Fantasy Star Online, the Dreamcast started to feel old, you know, because it couldn't play DVDs <laughs> because it came out in the 90s and it's already the 2000s, right? I think that psychologically hurt the Dreamcast a lot. When the fact that it came out in 1999... And all of these other ones came out in the 21st century, right? It 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 hurt, but <laughs> but but Fantasy Star Online was the last thing where the Dreamcast could say like we are doing technologically impressive things that none of these other machines can do. Um, I think I think that's that's this is it. From here, it was all downhill for the for Sega and for the Dreamcast in terms of technology, and I don't think. In this generation, any other game beat the online aspect of this one. Like the closest, I think, is Halo 2. But I mean, that is totally different because you needed Xbox Live, because you had online chatting, because all of these things, right? Um, and this was just, it was like the first time that Sega did it. It's the first time that consoles do it. It's the first time that Japan does it, right? It's a lot of first and it worked so well. And um, I don't think any any other console got as close to to it um, other than the Xbox. And I don't think Sega was ever again seen as pushing the technology forward as as like they never won any other innovation awards right after <laughs> after Fantasy Star Online. Um, so to me, they it represents the peak of that of like Sega being the new shiny toy and not yeah. the gray box that came out last century. <laughs> which is a beautiful box by the way it's my favorite console design i just like feeling it i like the little square edges along the disc tray and stuff <laughs> um all right and the seventh and final question how would this game work or look like in 2020 what do you think joe um i haven't played monster hunter um but i think it's if it's anything like destiny where it's like sci-fi with like weapons or like mm. like the technology upgrades of now um like i think it's like that in in this year like in 2020 um something like that just an online 
RPG where you level up and do stuff like that. Um, but I think in the future, like the way it could keep working basically is, or at least where I would see games of this nature going is something like, um, I think it's called the Oasis in ready player one. Ooh. I haven't read either the yeah. book or watched the movie. Um, <laughs> Don't watch the movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> or like the way that they play future or the way that they play video games in Futurama. Mm. Um, like the VR that they go into, like that's where I can picture this going basically. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Because I mean the easy answer is Monster Hunter, right? Or like a Monster Hunterized Destiny. Um, which is it sounds awesome, but the big appeal of Fantasy Star Online was that it had that aspect of bringing the internet to a more real place, to a more physical place, right? And kind of like interacting with people that you had only seen as a wall of text before. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it has to be something like that, something like Dot .hack or, or Ready Player One or something where we can um, materialize ourselves into an internet space and interact with people that aren't really there. Uh, you know, but this time it would have to be our voices and communicate where nowadays, like before it used to be that people were a wall of text and now they're like this physical avatar, right? So now we are all physical avatars because we have video chat and we can see each other. Um, so I think the next step would have to be a game that goes beyond that, where we can actually hear each other in a spatial place and almost physically interact with each other, right? If we could like shake hands in the digital world which yeah might be the only way we shake hands because of covid <laughs> <laughs> going forward um but it has to be something like that and it sounds crazy i don't think anyone could do it i think maybe talking about it um sounds as insane as talking about fantasy star online in 1998 right <laughs> when, which is when they started developing this um but yeah because that's the big, that's overall the big theme of Fantasy Star Online for me. Fantasy Star Online brought the world of the internet into this other semi-physical space where I could yeah. interact with people in a different way. So like the connectivity of it. Yeah, the whole aspect of just like, wow, there's a person there and... Oh, look at him moving. Look at it. I, I remember getting a <laughs> kick of like just people moving. It's just like there's a person behind that controller, like behind that thing. Um so that's what the new PSO would be for me. It has to be something where it's our voices, our personalities come through in, we go beyond avatars and more into like a semi-physical space where we can interact with each other in a different way. Um, I don't even think the following generation of consoles could do that, but maybe one after that. Or actually, you know, 5G internet is supposed to be so much faster that we could send so much more data. So I don't see why we can't send like spatial data for a room and project it onto a semi-physical space online. But maybe I'm uh, I'm uh, sounding like a stoner thoughts guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, anything that gets us closer to holograms a la Star Wars, I am completely okay with. If somebody wants to make something, an attachment for phones or something that can send that over 5G, I'm good with it. <laughs> I mean, they should be able to, um, but that would be it. <laughs> Are there any closing thoughts that you have on Fantasy Star Online, Joseph? It's hard to like convey the experience of this game. Like it was it was a grind fest that you spent a lot of time like on your own, kinda um working on your character that doesn't sound fun because it's a, a grind fest, <laughs> but like it, it was fun and like just the amount of time that you'd spend dedicating to it, and then you could take it online and parade or pay to 
parade them around and like play with other characters and get like other cool stuff. Like, I mean, it's easy to to describe what it is. It's hard to convey the experience and how fun it was, basically. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent because it's like it sounds like a boring hack and slash. Yeah, but the fact that you could do it with other people <laughs> for the first <laughs> time that weren't in the same room as you is what was crazy is what was so revolutionary because it was 2001 right yeah and nowadays it's just like anyone can go on twitch and stream whatever and you have lobbies full of people that are playing with other people and you can watch people play with other people and stuff like that but back in the day this was the first time that you could do this on a video game console and not require a pc not like i don't know when it happened but in this era there was a concept of like the family computer, right? Um, yeah. Like most computers were were like in a common area and like a lot of people at this point still had dial-up, which means that unless you had two phone, two phone lines in your house, which our friend Jacob did, by the way, <laughs> um, <laughs> you couldn't be online all day, right? You had to like segment time out uh, or if you had broadband, you could, but you had to segment time out to go online. So just the concept of like online games weren't accessible for everyone. Um, but PSO kind of was because it got rid of that whole, like for starters, you just play it in your room. You don't have to be in a common area with the family, right? There's no one's going to be walking by like, what are you doing or anything like that? And, and then it was just so easy. You didn't have to pick a server. And I, I mean, you did, but it was just, it was just so accessible. And I think that's yeah. that's the big thing about it that nowadays it's every game is like that. It's it's almost easier to play online than offline for certain games. <laughs> um, but for PSO, it's the first one that did that. So uh, it, it was very significant and very important. And that's why we spoke about it. Yeah. So, yep. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation and uh, go look it up if you want to see what it's like <laughs> there's still people playing it you can join the 82 i might just do that but um i don't know i don't want to get addicted to it again so uh thanks for talking with me about this game joe and thanks for listening we'll see you guys next time Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.